Many of you have uh, been here for a significant chapter of that heritage, um, or maybe a few chapters. Some of, some of you have lived through a few chapters um, here. And um, I don't know how many years ago it was when Pastor Bob started uh, to think it was time for a transition. Um, Anybody know how many years ago that was when the shared ministry team stepped in? Whoa, it says a voice from the closet over there. (laughs) Somebody's in the prayer closet in 1999, so 16 years ago, uh, something like that. And and the shared ministry team uh, stepped in and started sharing responsibilities with Pastor Bob, and then... uh, is a long transition. Back, not not too long after that, um, Josh was uh, working on something in Michigan, uh, construction project or something, and God gave him a vision, um, straight up, <laughs> and uh, he saw himself um, kind of like uh, floating across um, the U.S coming to Pennsylvania and landing uh, at the old Parker Ford Church, kind of coming through the door and going down into the basement and sitting at a Sunday school table at the chair. Um, And at the time, he was a youth pastor in Michigan. And so he gave his resignation and called my parents and said, hey, can I live with you guys to like get my feet under me? God just called me to Pennsylvania. And so they were like, yeah, I was still in school. I, was, I wasn't home. I, I still was at college. Um, and so he moved in, and he came and was teaching Sunday school. Um, at the same time, the Lord um, changed my mind. I was headed to do missions in Ireland, and God changed my mind um, and called me here independently of that in a, in a unique way. And God led us here. And so for a, a number of years, we were at the old church, and I was leading worship um, and, and uh, Josh was teaching Sunday school, and and then God uh, led us out from there um, at one point, and uh, and then a number of years later, when the shared ministry team uh, had kind of uh, also felt it was time for them to make a transition, and we had moved into this building here at Parker Ford, um, there was a search for a new pastor, and um, at that point. Uh, a different chapter started with uh, Parker Ford Church, which we called the the replant, um, and uh, and Josh and I both came back here. And uh, you know, when someone does something for us, uh, it's important that we th- we thank them. So uh, the other day, Jerry. Um, yeah, two days ago, I think, when I was just thinking about um, things that uh, the Biteworks have done around here, and Josh, my buddy in particular, um, I just like kind of wanted to rifle through a few things, just think of things that he's done. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but things that I just want to thank you for. So, um <laughs> Josh has uh, preached in this pulpit many times and in a whole bunch of other ones in our area. And uh, we've had a number of churches that ask, hey, when's Josh coming back over? We want him 
back in the pulpit. And, uh, we really appreciate what Josh has brought from the Word of God. Uh, many, many of you have experienced Josh's constant hospital visitations. Uh, always running to this hospital or that hospital to see people in their time of need. He's done almost every funeral for the last seven years, um, which sadly was a huge number of funerals. Um, he baptized everybody here over the last seven years, except for one, <laughs> my son, Evan. Um, I stole that one back. Uh, and then uh, Josh planned and led our Love Feast services and our Union of Churches services, provided a lot of management of Sunday morning, kind of taking care of details that uh, no one would have seen, but uh, he just took care of constant meetings, elders meeting, church board meetings, Christian ed meetings, deacons meetings, pastors meetings, worship planning meetings, anointing services. He led our staff meetings. Um, Josh wrote study booklets that we used, position papers, uh, the readings that would be in the services. Um, he taught PFC 101, Sunday school journey groups, workshops. He spent countless hours in counseling and discipling people. Josh um, was the pastor over benevolence and spent a great deal of time when Josh's heart just breaks for those who are in need. And so he'd spent a lot of time uh, caring, caring about those uh, situations. Um, Josh was involved in some pretty heavy interventions um, at times uh, and spent a great deal of time in heavy intercession and prayer in various, various ways. Um, uh, Josh was regular at the Salvation Army and was a champion for the Salvation Army here. Uh, he was on the founding leadership team of Netzer, and every time we would send a prayer team to another church to care for that church and to do discernment, Josh always led and organized that team. When we would have regional gatherings for Netzer and have pastors from all over the area come here, Josh would be the first one here setting up chairs, getting coffee ready and doing all that stuff, and he'd be the last one here usually as well. He was the chairperson of the Union of Churches. He was a part of the executive board of the district, uh, Atlantic Northeast District. He was a board member at Operation Backpack. He started and led a bunch of prayer meetings in our area that have uh, done awesome things. Um, he led Pottstown Prayer Nights, uh, if you were a part of one of those. Um, they were great. Uh, um, and then there's these things that are just funny. Like, uh, I don't know how many times, dude, it was like Saturday night at like who knows how late, and you'd be in here setting up chairs, and uh, we'd be trying to get the chairs just right. And all that. Um, I remember Josh doing the nursery and child care during Tenebrae, um, and people dropping their kids off in the back there while Josh was teaching them. Um, Josh helped with the adoption of Joey big time. That was awesome. Uh, we had many times, a number of times where we'd be handing out hot chocolate in front of uh, Walmart <laughs> um, and just caring for people. Josh sang in the choir. <laughs> and um, one of my favorite memories of something you did was when Josh was the MC of uh, VBS and would be singing songs with the kids. And I have these videos of Josh doing dances and singing songs. And one day, you will see that on YouTube. At a very special moment when Josh holds something over my head. Um, so uh, these are, by, it's by no means an exhaustive list. Um, but that's a lot of things that Josh has done. His family has made an enormous amount of sacrifice. 
so that much of that could happen. And uh, there's been times where husband and dad have not been around, and he's been carrying a heavy weight when he comes home. And uh, he has served this church and served the Lord and served his friends faithfully. And uh, we are deeply, deeply appreciative. That's the things that Josh did. Um, And so, thank you. Because the things you did, we thank you for who Josh is and who his family is. But I'm talking about Josh, who his family is or who he is. That's just glory to God. I can't really, I will thank you, but barely. I mean, it's just thanking God because this stuff is, there's just a short list here of things that are about Josh's character that I want to recognize. This is a worship service, so we glorify God, and these are things that God produces in people, and when we recognize it, we give him glory. Here's some things that I love about Josh. He often weeps for things that others miss. Many times he's confronted things that everyone else was willing to let go but needed to be dealt with or we couldn't move forward. That's tough. Josh loves the scriptures and he holds on to them dearly. He's deeply committed to the poor, to the needy, and to the outcast. He believes in prayer, he lives in prayer, and he leads people to prayer. He's been a faithful and sacrificial friend for me. I love you, brother. And you and your family, we want you to go in peace and go with God. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So at that point, we have to transition into a sermon. Um, You can respond however you want. We have a time, you know, after the service. Um, that we are going to be celebrating these guys. Um, but I would urge you to express your gratitude to Josh and Shelby. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you honor and glory. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. Your plans, your sovereignty, your will, your ability to redeem and transform and, and move and, and in any way, in any choice that we make, you have an ability to overcome, to overwhelm, and, uh, and to move forward. And for that, Father God, we just give you honor and praise and glory. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that your word is sure, that you have enormous integrity, God. There's no one, there's no one else who has ever been able to say, my words will not ever return void. <laughs> no one else can say that. Only you. We trust you. Allow your words to guide us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 is our text. Excuse me. You shouldn't have a microphone strapped to your face when you blow your nose. Uh, 
Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, what do we do? What do we ask? What's it there for? What comes before Philippians chapter 4? Wow, that's really good. Philippians chapter 3. Yeah, so Philippians chapter 3. Remember last week I said Philippians chapter 3 is one of those like, there's, you know, one of those amazing chapters of the Bible, one of the biggies. And what is Philippians chapter 3? What's it all about? Anybody remember anything from last week? Any bullet points or anything? What was it about? Anybody remember any verses from Philippians chapter 3 or anything? What's that? Finally rejoice and joy of the Lord. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection, forgetting what is behind, pressing forward to what is ahead. I count everything else a loss. Remember what we said is that Paul's great desire was Jesus. The message last week was finding joy in Jesus. All he wanted was Jesus. And we talked about, that chapter talked about three primary distractions. One is our strengths. Whatever it is that we can have confidence in distracts us from seeing Jesus because we focus on building in those strengths. Secondly, the things that are behind us, whether things that worked well or things that hurt us or things we did bad or whatever, that can distract us from seeing Jesus. This is let go of what's behind. And lastly, the cravings of our flesh. Our God is our stomach and our glory is our shame. And he's, now focus on that. Our citizenship is in heaven and our anticipation is that we're eagerly awaiting the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that rose him from the dead will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that is how he ends chapter 3. He says, it's all about Christ. Don't be distracted by what you're good at. Don't be distracted by the past. Don't be distracted by the cravings of your flesh or the the ego or any of that. Don't be distracted by that. Just focus on Jesus. Therefore, since all of that is true and since that's what we're about, therefore, that's how he starts it off. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm, thus. That's a word we, we should use more, thus. We don't use that one. I don't know if we should. But. Thus, and if you have another translation, it might say, in this way. Stand firm in this way. Stand firm, thus, in the Lord. And what does that mean? It says, the whole point, therefore, Stand firm this way in the Lord. And what is this way? By focusing on Christ and on nothing else. The point here isn't focusing on Christ because that's what all of chapter 3 was. The point here is stand firm in it. Stand firm in that. He just explained all of chapter 3, stay focused on Jesus. And now he's saying, do not waver. Stand firm. That means We're not kind of like looking at Jesus like this. Here. Solid. Firm. Not moving. I'm not walking with Christ and saying, oh, it's nice to talk with Christ, but then, oh, this is nice too. Okay, back to Christ. Oh, this is nice. Stand firm 
this way. Don't play around. Don't mess around. Don't be distracted. Stand firm this way, looking to Jesus, never wavering, holding on, holding on to him. And then the rest of the chapter, well, at least the meat of this chapter, what Paul does with the church in Philippi is he gives them very practical examples here of how to stand firm in Jesus. This is where it gets real practical. And so we talked about the different things that we find joy in in the first three chapters. Paul's been revealing that. Now he said it. He already said, finally, remember chapter three started with saying, finally rejoice in the Lord. That was the big thing. Our big focus is to rejoice in the Lord. Now he's saying, stand firm in that and let me practically show you in life how to not be distracted from that but how to stand firm in it. And the first thing he does is he gives us an example of people who are not standing firm in it. And he he walks them out in that. Listen, verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntek to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, there's something that's important in order to understand how this text works. You know that the headers that are in your Bible, the bold letters that are above a a chapter, they're not actually in the Bible right? Um, and they're not on the screen, I would imagine. No, they're not. They're, they're not in the original text, um, and they're not in the Bible. And those things can, can be helpful when you're trying to find something, but generally they don't help you see the flow of the scripture because it's putting breaks in there that aren't actually in there. Even when it comes to punctuation and when it comes to new paragraphs and all of that stuff, this is, that's all the translators. That's not Paul, okay? And so this is a flow of consciousness from chapter 3 into chapter 4, and right here he's saying, we're, wait, we're waiting on Jesus, so since we're waiting for him, stand firm as we're waiting for him. And as you do, you too, get along in the Lord. Get along in the Lord. You're disagreeing, but you need to get along. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're just having a rough day, and when you're having the rough day, something comes up. Normally, you would probably be able to handle it and respond well, but since you're having such a tough time, you snap about something where it gets you real aggravated, and it's like, I would be able to handle this, except for the fact that everything else, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. Or maybe the flip side of that, when you've been having a really good day, and there's great stuff going on, and somebody brings something to you that could throw, you know, pop your lid, but instead you were able to just kind of roll with it because you were in a good spot, and it made it easier to do that. Paul's making a point here. He says, you guys need to agree in the Lord and choose to be together inside of him. There's a reason why you're not getting along. He's talking to these two women, Yodia and Syntek. He said, there's a reason why you're not getting along. Okay, and so what is that reason? Well, he doesn't get deep into it. All he says is, you have to agree in the Lord, and then he ends with, rejoice in the Lord. 
Okay? Stand firm, focusing on Jesus. Get along in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? What's adultery mean? Adultery means that I've been unfaithful in the relationship, in the covenant, that I'm breaking the covenant. And what he's saying is, we're an adulterous people when our covenant to our God is broken because there's passions and desires in our heart that we chase after that break this covenant with the Lord. And when that happens, what ends up happening is, is we end up having quarrels and fights among us. And as we, as we go after friendship with the world, and this doesn't mean that we, we're, we become friends with people in the world. Of course, we're to be friends with people. It's, but it's the philosophy of this world, the general ethic of this world, as we become friendly in that, it divides our heart and it divides our mind. He says this, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded. This is a crazy verse, verse 9 of chapter 4 of James. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That does not sound like rejoice, does it? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another. Okay. If we're to rejoice in the Lord always, then why is James saying, be wretched, mourn, and wail? How can you have that in juxtaposition to rejoice in the Lord always? Because what it says is, is the reason we're having the problems is because the passions and desires of our hearts are focused on the wrong thing. So I am delighting myself in whatever it is that the world is offering me. And I'm looking to how to satisfy my own desires. Here's the funny thing about our passions and our desires. There is never, ever in our world going to be enough resources to satisfy all of our greed. There will never be enough respect in this world to satisfy all of our egos. 
there will never be enough gratitude and admiration to make us all feel good about ourselves. You know why? Because the problem, of course, isn't the lack of resources. The problem is the unending nature of our cravings. And as soon as I'm focused on what I want, and Jen is focused on what she wants, there will never be enough time in our calendar, enough money in our bank account, enough respect in the house in order for us to get along. Because we will always be back and forth trying to find what's ours. And that's why he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. About what? About what my passions have been. Grieve those things. Mourn those promises that the world gives. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. And blessed are those then who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will see God. See, what James is saying is the reason there's fights and quarrels is because we got focused on our stuff and got focused on me. And so now we're uh, grinding it out. And because I, somewhere along the line, we buy the line that, that the world has something to offer. And so we go after it and we lose sight of the Lord and we get all these passions and it causes us to fight and quarrel. He's saying, grieve that, mourn that, loathe that. Then turn to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. Serve him, and he will lift you up. The flip side of that same coin is what Paul is talking about in Philippians, where he's saying, you two ladies that aren't getting along, agree in the Lord. In the Lord agree. Rejoice in him. Here's the thing. Having Jesus be the focus is a little bit tricky because when we say Jesus is the focus, it's very easy for us to just think, okay, I'm doing everything for Jesus. That doesn't quite cut it. These two ladies were ministering side by side with Paul, with Clement, and they were serving side by side. He said their names are in the book of life, that they help with the work of the Lord, but they were still in disagreement. So Jesus was the focal point of their life. They were trying to do the work of Jesus. And they probably knew the words of Jesus. And yet somehow they couldn't agree. Why? The reason, I believe, is because even though they were doing the work that God had called them to, and even though they might have known the words and were trying, what they weren't doing was rejoicing in Jesus. What's the difference? I put up a bird feeder yesterday. And so far, I saw one bird come to that bird feeder. It's a wooden bird feeder. It was a flicker, a woodpecker. He didn't eat any of the food. He started hammering the bird feeder. I said, buddy, there's a bird feeder full of food. You're like... Wow, cool, new and exciting wood. You're hitting the wood because you think that there's food inside of it when there's a whole tray of food right there. Just eat it. We can work hard for the Lord and know the Bible. We can say a sinner's prayer. We can do everything that seems like Jesus. But if we're not rejoicing in him, we miss the point. It's a relationship, and we don't get satisfied, and we don't start producing fruit of repentance. We don't start seeing the love and the joy and the peace flowing out unless we're rejoicing in the Lord. 
What's rejoice mean? Rejoice means to take or to show joy and delight. Webster's Dictionary, I think, says to display that you are happy. No, to show that you are happy. That's Webster's Dictionary, to rejoice, to show that you are happy. And other definitions are to delight in something, to choose to delight. There's a choice involved and there's a display involved. And what happens with Jesus is that I can know the words of Scripture and try very, very hard to embed them into my life and say, you're my God and I'm trying to submit to you. But there's this one little thing that actually has to happen. I actually have to get happy about Jesus. And if I don't get happy with Jesus and get delighted by Jesus, then guess what? I will fight even with the person who's trying to go after Jesus right next to me because I still will not be satisfied. And we will still be fighting over the last penny and over the last bit of time in the calendar and over the next decision that has to be made or whatever. You know, when I think about a a team, take a professional sports team, everybody on the team has the same goal, right? We're trying to win, trying to win the cup, win the prize. And yet somehow you can have fighting on that team. Why? Because there's only so many positions on the field, only so, many time, so, so much time that the game's played, and so some people want to be on the field more than other people. There's only so much money that goes around to pay the athletes, and they each want some of the money. And there, there's, there's only one coach who can be making the decisions, but there's a lot of people who have an idea of how the game plan should go. And so even though we're all going to the same direction, there can be all this squabbling in the middle of it because we're not just enjoying the game. And we're not just all about that. There's other things in the middle. And so we can be going after God like these two ladies where we're doing the work of Jesus and yet in the middle of it not be in agreement. And the reason we're not in agreement is because we're not in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord in those moments. And that means that I don't care what the color of the carpet is. I don't care what exactly all the details about how we're doing this and how we're doing that. The thing that can satisfy me, the thing that can fulfill me, is that when I am in the presence of the living God, there is joy in knowing him. And when that happens, I'm still supposed to use my brain. As a matter of fact, the, the next part of this, what Paul says is he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I'm supposed to be reasonable in the way I'm dealing with you. I'm supposed to use my brain and we're supposed to figure things out and it's supposed to work. The reason we get unreasonable is because of the passions and desires that are unfulfilled because we're not deeply being satisfied by Jesus. And so now when we have a decision to make about whatever in our life or in our family or at our workplace or whatever it is, it becomes a much more difficult decision because I'm more passionate about it because that decision, I have something personally invested in the outcome of it. And if it goes this way, I might gain something that feels like it's going to satisfy my soul. And so I'm a little heavy, more heavily invested into that decision than I need to be. But if I'm satisfied in the Lord, I'll give you my reasonable opinion about it, my thoughts about it. But it's okay if it doesn't go that way. My joy, my joy and satisfaction, (laughs) outcome of that decision does not affect my joy. My joy is is in Jesus. And he's not going anywhere. And he's not changing. And so he says, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord is at hand. (laughs) He's right here. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're carrying something. The circumstances are getting sketchy. We're not sure what's happening with the government. We don't know what's happening with our bank account. We have these difficult situations in our life. Be anxious about... Yeah, but I mean, like, there's some really bad stuff going on in our world right now. Nothing. Yeah, but this, you don't understand what this person did to me. There's no way, you just can't blow past that, right? Right. But be anxious about nothing. Nothing. Man, we're facing a moment right now as a church. This This is a moment, you know? Josh and Shelby are going to Michigan. Jen and I are headed on sabbatical. There's a lot changing there, you know? I saw Josh Hostetter's face the other day when he was asking me about some things. His eyeballs were like this big. (laughs) And then they got real small, and he's like, God's got it. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. It's God's church. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this. I have a request. I have a desire. There's something that's going on in my heart, and instead of getting anxious and worrying with my sister about it, trying to get done what I want to get done, instead, he says, I got a better idea. I'm here. Come and talk to me about it. And I got it. Share your concern with me. And I'll take care of it. And by the way, when you bring it to me, not only bring your request with supplication, but with thanksgiving. Why? Because when I start to thank God for all the things that he's already doing, all of a sudden my heart turns to joy. And I begin to rejoice in the Lord. And as soon as I've talked to God about it with thanksgiving, by that time I'm done talking to God about it, I'm already in a place of joy. The biggest problem is when I get worried and I don't start talking to God, but instead I start trying to leverage the relationships. That's when it goes ugly. But when I go to the Lord, I rejoice. And He knows my requests and He knows my care. And it brings peace to my heart by joy and to my mind because I'm singular focused and dependent and have faith in God. So my reasonableness can be made known to you and my peace and stability can happen in my heart and it creates an atmosphere where the fruit of repentance can be born in the community and we can begin to actually resemble the character of God. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. So one other practical thing that he gives us, he says, finally, brothers, if this is the case, if God's at hand and, and we're rejoicing in him and we're going to be getting along, finally, my brothers, if you're standing firm, one thing you need to know about standing firm, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, 
lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. It is so easy because of how strong God is to feel like I have the freedom to kind of like deal with this a little bit over here, to entertain this hurt a little bit over here, to look at this kind of junky stuff here, to, to focus on this or to talk about this. It's easy to do that because God's bigger and he can handle it. If I flub, God's got it, and that's true. But if I want joy and if I want peace in my relationships, stand firm. Don't slip. We could go through each one of those words and talk about what each one of those things are. But we won't have time to do that right now. That would be a fun series. I actually thought about doing a series on those words at some point. I will say this, is that between pure and excellent and honorable, I just want to say this, that sometimes when it comes to things we focus on, sometimes... We can focus on things that seem deep and rich, and yet they're kind of impure. You can read a great novel or watch a really good movie that has great depth to it, and yet it's kind of garbage too because of the morality of it. Or you can watch something that's very moral, and yet is just plastic cheese pop, (laughs) and it doesn't display the excellence of God. And what God calls us into is to read a book that's good, about him, that displays not only the truth of him in words, but in the way it's spoken. So think about things that are excellent, that are worthy of praise, that are honorable, but also things that are lovely and pure. And they're rare gems to find those things. But when we find them, we meditate on them, and we think of those things, and we dwell on those things. And so God says, be careful. Paul's saying, be careful. Focus on the right thing, because as we start to focus, it's the slide away from rejoicing in the Lord. There's one last thing that he talks about. That's the last thing in that, that whole thing of him, um, kind of basically the whole book ends right there. And then there's this spot um, about God's provision at the end that I think is really important for me to just touch on, so I'm going to read it. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is verse 10, by the way. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever the situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. It's an awesome moment here. This is what Paul says. He says, you guys sent me cash. That's a paraphrase. With Epaphroditus. He said, I'm so excited that you sent me the money. Not because I need the money. I actually don't need the money. But I'm so glad that you sent the money because I know that it's a credit to your faith. I know that that means you are growing in the Lord and you guys have been faithful stepping out even when no one else had. Why? Because you don't need the money either. I don't need it and you don't need it. We need the Lord. And when you bless me going this way, my God will continue to supply all of your needs. You don't need it and I don't need it. But this was good because we're honoring God with our resources and where your treasure is, your heart is also. And in essence, that's what it is that Paul is saying here. And he said, I'm so glad to see you investing this way. I started this um, message with taking time to thank Josh and the Bitework family. But I want to end this message by taking a minute to thank you, Parker Ford. You know, um, I don't know uh, many churches... As a matter of fact, I think I've only ever heard of two other churches who have done a replant. Where you take a church and and completely from the ground up say, there's going to be a whole bunch of change and we're doing this whole new thing. When we came seven years ago, Park Ford Church was looking for a pastor. Because we wanted a young pastor to reach into the community and uh, see, you know, and... You know what happened is that we came and said, how about you two pastors? <laughs> we'll raise support for a year for one of us, you know. And then after that, just carry two pastors. Oh, and by the way, 50% of our time, we're going to invest not into Parker Ford Church, but into the community around, caring for other pastors, praying for Pottstown, because we believe that the team that we're on, the bigger kingdom, is more important than just serving the team that we lead that we got to be connected to the broader kingdom of God, and we got to pour into that. And if we want to see God bring revival and renewal, then we need to pray into our land, and we need to encourage other pastors as well. And so we're going to come at this together, working together to care beyond and to do this replant. And you guys, those of you who are here and everything, said yes. And we started. And that was crazy, awesome moment of faith. And you know, when Paul looks back at Philippi and he says, I am so grateful that in those times when there wasn't another church who was serving, he chose to serve in that way. And I just want to be honest. There's very few churches who uh, would take a risk like that. And uh, you all did. And so, thank you. I'm about to go on sabbatical. District policy suggests sabbatical every five to seven years. But it's not every church that blesses their pastor to go do that. Thank you. We support the Benjamins who were here a few weeks ago. In translation, we support the Winces with Campus Crusade. We support the colleges in Indonesia and the Hosses. And we support the, the Ermolds at Camp Sankanak. And we support Operation Backpack and the Salvation Army and, and God's Kitchen. Because we care about the kingdom of God. And where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And Paul was excited at the end of this passage because he says, I see you renewing your passion for the kingdom of God and investing. 
And so I see here at Parker Ford Church that this is a place where God has called us, just like individuals, where he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Don't get hung up on seeking your own stuff. Seek me and then invest into my kingdom. This is our DNA. It's our call. It's our destiny. This is what God has called us to, is to rejoice as a church in him. To rejoice and take great delight in his presence. To not focus on just sustaining or maintaining or just trying to build us. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. But continuing to focus on the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God is with us and he has been with us. God bless Parker Ford Church for the heritage that's been there. God bless in those moments of faith. Thank you for the ways that you've treated us in the last chapter of this as as being people who you've allowed to serve in very unique and different ways here. And God will continue to carry this church forward and supply as we rejoice in him. As we make ourselves Not just know about Jesus. Not just try to do the stuff for Jesus, but to be happy in Jesus. Amen? We need to be happy in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the source of joy. And that whether Paul said, I have little or I have much, whether it's sharing in the sufferings or experiencing the power of the resurrection, whether whatever it is, There is a joy available because Jesus, you are here. And Jesus, you're not going anywhere. And Jesus, you don't change. Thank you for being faithful when we are faithless. Thank you for being stable when our world is shaky. Thank you for being solid when we are confused. Thank you for being clear-minded when we are double-minded. Thank you for being reasonable, thoughtful, and loving when we are cross and angry and frustrated. Thank you for being clean and pure when we are unrighteous and ashamed. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the great I am, unchanging, and you give us access to your presence. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing 118, His Name is Wonderful.
So as we conclude our service this morning, we'd like to take a little bit of time to pray for Tim and Jen as they go out on their sabbatical. So Tim and Jen, if you guys would come up. I'd like to also call the elders uh, and their spouses up, uh, in addition to some folks that have been involved with the staffing board. So if Nancy or Jen are here, please come up. Uh, also, Corey, we'd like for you to come up as you'll be stepping into some roles of uh, additional leadership. So as we gather around, we would like to just take a few moments, uh, extend our hands uh, as a congregation as well toward Tim and Jen as we bless them as they go out on their sabbatical, uh, that God would bless their time together, not just in terms of spiritual renewal, but also renewal and refreshment as a family as well. So I'll open, uh, and then we'll open it up for uh, various folks to pray as you feel led. And... um, Harry, I'll ask you to to close after a few moments. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace, Lord, for your word, for your truth, and God, for um, the leaders that you have given us here. Lord, we thank you for Tim and for Jen and for the sacrifice that they have made for you. God, we thank you for their love for you, Lord, for their desire to serve you, and God, for the blessing that they are to us. And Father, we pray now that as they go out on sabbatical for the next four months, Lord, that you would just bless them, God, that you would be near to them, Lord, that they would experience and feel your presence, Lord, that you would give them a a time of refreshment and renewal, Lord, spiritually with you, Lord, with each other and their relationship, and God, with their family and with um, Colton and Evan as well. And Lord, as Tim shared with us this morning, out of Philippians, where you tell us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and make our requests known to you. And Father, I pray that through this time, Lord, that you would help us as a church to seek you and Lord, to not be anxious, but Father, to know that you are going to be present with us. And Lord, I pray that you would help Tim and Jen in that time to be able to rest in that as well. God, not to be anxious for us as a body, but God, to know that we Uh, are seeking to serve and to honor you in what we do. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your servants. And God, we commit them and ask for your blessing upon them through this time in your name. Amen. Father, um, when we think of the story of creation, at the end of creation, you rested. You looked and you saw that everything was good. And so I lift up our pastor and his wife, Jen, and the boys, and this will be a time to rest, to uh, connect again with you, to see what is good, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good rapport. Think of those things. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Let this be a time of rest to be able to reconnect with you, reconnect with their family, and to enjoy the blessings that you have provided.
Jesus's family is about the Father's business. It's something that I've been able to witness uh, the past couple years, and I'd ask that Tim, as the father, as a husband, Jenna as a wife and a mother, and that these boys, Father, that they would seek your face uh, throughout this time, that you would dwell in their house and set up camp in their house and take care of any distractions that might come in, Father, that they would consider it great joy because they get to see you manifest yourself throughout this time, God, and that they would be purposeful in wasting time for you and um, submitting themselves to you and that they would just be very much blessed by you and your presence in the in the next couple months and for this church that we would stand on nothing else except Jesus and that cornerstone the rock the foundation and our roots would grow deeper in you because it's about you and what you've done and this church needs to be about the father's business as well God we thank you for where we've come for where we're going and where we are right now Father, some days it feels as though we as a culture are fiercely determined to do everything but rest. And where we fail to rest in you, we fail to worship. And where we fail to worship, we fail to hear your voice. And then, Lord, as a people, we lose our way. God, I I thank you for this moment as a church that is almost a militant stand against that trend that we are saying we would wish for something different, that we would wish to press so deeply into you that we would hear your voice because we're worshiping, because we're resting in you. And Father, I would ask that for the Deerings, and I would ask that for Parker Ford Church in this moment, that it would be a time when we grow closer as a community in you, Lord God. You are so gracious, so compassionate, and you, you, one of the first acts that you ever did was to take a rest so that you made sure that we would all know this is a need, a requirement, something our souls must have. And God, I would ask that you would bring Tim back completely refreshed with a, with, a, with a view of you that is changed and transformed by these months, that he would be altered by the word and by worship in, these, in this time, and that their family would be shored up and, and the gaps that kind of happen because we're pressing too hard, that they would be kind of filled in and that there would be healing and wholeness during this time, Lord God, and that as a result... When, when the Deerings come back in December, that, that there would be just this awesome, awesome time where the word flows purely uh, through Tim and that leadership uh, throughout this region is blessed and that the kingdom and what you're doing, the kingdom that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ would be altered and transformed and moved forward through this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these prayers that have been lifted up. And I, too, say amen to each one of those. But I also think of our congregation. As Tim brought us the message this morning, I looked at the verses on the screen, and I just looked at the punctuation marks there, and I kind of compared our situation to many of those verses. So often when I'm reading, I'll place a period where a comma is. And that's not what you want, Lord. That's not the true meaning. So really, at this point, Lord, our congregation 
It's a comma. We're to take a pause. We're to take a breath. But we're to continue on, Father, to glorify your name. We just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that Tim and Jen and Colton and Evan can just have a time as a family. Just relax. Just grow closer to you and as a family during this time. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that will not have a chance to see Tim and Jen or Josh and Shelby later today, I would encourage you to just 